You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. It's no reason to become alarmed, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Welcome to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence Podcast. This is your pilot, John Lafferty, with Century 21 Town & Country. And co-pilot, Tony Abate, with Ross Mortgage. And we are your real estate pilots. Our job is to be your real estate advocate and also make sure you're educated about the buying and selling process. We'll keep you informed throughout until we get you safely closed. In a real estate transaction, there are many reasons why you can encounter turbulence. Today, we are going to talk to local expert Tony Bucci on ways to avoid turbulence hitting your savings and, re- and investments and retirement. Tony's with Mission Point Planning and Retirement. Welcome to the jump seat, Tony. Thanks, guys. I, I should say it. welcome back to the jump seat, yeah. Tony. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I didn't do I, – I guess I flew well enough last time to <laughs> to earn a, earn, a, earn a ride again. I appreciate it. A return flight, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Sometimes we throw people off the plane. That's so, okay. Yeah, That's all right. Yeah. For those who may have missed the, the last podcast, Tony, tell us a little bit about Mission Point Planning and Retirement. Yeah, thanks so much. First off, thanks for having me back again. Uh, Mission Point Planning and Retirement, we're an independent financial advisory firm in Troy, Michigan. I've been doing it about 16 years, 15, 16 years, soon to be my 16th. Uh, we specialize in helping folks in two real big areas. One, financial planning, true financial planning, which is helping people make decisions based on their unique circumstances, goals, wishes, et cetera, and then actually implementing those decisions through proper investment strategies and with, with a special focus on uh, retirement. Okay. Out of curiosity, when is a good time for somebody to sit down with their financial planner if, let's say, they're maxing out their investments every year, they own a house, but they want they want more investments or strategies? When is a good time for them to sit down and talk with their financial planner about maybe an investment property? Yeah. I mean, if they're – if they're already having a relationship with their, they already have a good relationship with a financial advisor. These things typically come up during, or it should come up during an annual review or biannual review, and usually it's 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 posing the question of, hey, I'm doing all this. Should I be doing anything more other than just saving more? And this is where we have to we have to walk a fine line because legally we're not allowed to suggest. A specific investment property or business because um, it's it's out of our purview. We're not licensed to do that. But the reality is, is that we know that mutual funds, stocks, bonds, annuities, insurance, these are not the only things out there. There is a lot to be gained from a passive income that can be generated through investment property. Um, or in some cases, if somebody um, is uh, maybe a little bit more handy, someone who can uh, take, a, take on a flip. Um, the thing that we talk to folks about, though, specifically in regards to these investments, and I'll throw in businesses too, passive, you know, ownership and business or whatnot, that these fundamentally are different animals than what we're doing, and that they require a lot more. There's a little bit more, actually, quite a bit more. Could be quite a bit more risk, and certainly more, uh, more of an expectation of time, energy, and then therefore return. Um, so to the point where if somebody wants to flip a house, for example. We say, hey, that's that's really income. That's not really an investment. You're making money. That's a that's an income situation. Um, and then, uh, of course, the real estate, uh, some passive income through rental property um, or vacation property through Airbnb or VRBO or something. Or we're going to get into that. Right, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, certainly, the sooner the better. Um, and then it, the, 
whether it's right for them, I, I think the number one determining factor is their temperament. Can they administer that particular property? Um, a lot of people want to, you, you guys, you guys will probably take over from here on this one, but a lot of people want to be investment property owners, but there's a lot more to it than just looking at a piece of paper and saying, this is what I could have. What? Really? (laughs) You just don't throw money at a property and it just makes money for you hand over fist and grow it on trees? You know, I think one of the other reasons to call you into the conversation sooner than later is that, uh, you know, it takes upfront capital, right? To to make the investment or vacation home happen. And reasonable likelihood they're going to reaching into upfront capital that that you've helped them get to that point. And uh, what I like to tell folks that are at that stage is, you know, you don't want to upset the apple cart if there's a plan in place. I mean, we can talk all day long mm-hmm. from my perspective about how the finance works and, and, and the costs and the, and the payment, et cetera. But if doing so is going to upset some other part of the financial plan, that's a dangerous place to be. They should yeah. they should bring you into that conversation sooner than later, I think. No, I, I, absolutely. And I think – and this kind of goes back to some of the things we said in the previous episode. If you're working with a – Finance, quote unquote, air quotes are happening right now. A financial planner who is really an investment manager, they're not really going to want to. They're not going to want to take any capital out of what they're managing Uh, for you to reallocate towards somewhere else. If you're working with a a fiduciary on on the financial planning side, just someone who really is just focused on trying to create a plan and help you make decisions at what's best for you, they're more apt to say, "Okay, yeah, we can take some capital out of what we've been doing already because." the positive attributes of owning a secondary real estate property, I, be, I believe outweigh. Of course, once again, we're not allowed to recommend specific things. That's where you guys come in. That's where John comes in. But that's the thing you have to, if you're listening to this right now and you're working with an advisor or thinking about it, um, you need to be aware of because there's, um, there's a vested interest for financial advisors to keep most of your money with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, with that all important rule of diversification, though, it, it, it's an important. It's it's worthwhile to say, hey, in the interest of diversification, this is one of the things that I want to talk to my financial planner about, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, is that yeah. absolutely? And that's that's the that you hit the nail on the head, actually. So we preach diversification, and sometimes we need to think about diversifying beyond just the traditional things that we can do. And yeah. you know, there's. Um, you know, th- this really comes into focus, I think, for our clients that are either approaching retirement or in retirement. And where re- the the success or failure of retirement, we'll go back a few years even, we'll say, like, you know, maybe 10 years out from retirement, it hinges on income or cash flow. Um, the financial press have done a great job of think of, of portraying retirement as a number a decision. Like once I get to a number. Well, what's 65. Yeah, exa- or 60 70. age or like a, a, a certain or dollar balance, amount. Yeah, exactly, yeah. In reality, it's it's not that the dollar amount's nothing. It, that's important, but it's what is what is my dollar amount generating from an income perspective? Yeah. And so if a certain amount of money can generate a higher degree of income and the owner, the, the uh, client has the temperament to own real estate, that's a perfectly acceptable. In some cases, should be, not some cases, should be encouraged. Because it's a bigger bang for their buck to generate an income, um, so yeah, and it diversifies. I mean, we know most of the time stocks, bonds, and real estate don't work in lockstep with one another. Unfortunately, one time we did two thousand eight, but a lot of times <laughs> would, yeah. stocks could be down and your real estate holdings could be doing okay. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, Tony. Diversification is a key element in, in deciding whether this is good for you. Yeah. 
Tony, when somebody's looking at an investment property, what's the minimum they can put down? Is it 15%? Yeah, for, for conventional loans, it is 15%. And uh, like, like so many uh, aspects of financing a property, the larger the down payment, uh, the, the more attractive the terms become. And I think that's, that's a little bit exaggerated on the investment property purchase. So when somebody puts 15% down, they can do it, but they're going to, you know, you're, you're in that window where you're going to pay PMI. Uh, and you're in a situation where you're going to pay a higher interest rate because you're putting what's considered to be the minimum down for a conventional loan purchase on investment property. Things become more attractive at 20 and 20% down. The analysis is different. You know, it, it's cash flow and it's, it's what's going to happen in the future. So if it's a, if it's a, a, a killer buy with some great upside potential, maybe that, that additional expense of putting 50% down, 15% down can be justified. But, um, uh, we really try to discourage people uh, to to jump into an investment property purchase with fifteen percent down because that's all they have to invest. That that's that's kind of a dangerous place to be. Okay, let's take a step back and say that from the get go, mm-hmm. maybe the property is either even or they're probably not making enough to cover mm-hmm. uh, PMI. I'm sorry, PITI. Sure, the payment. Let's, mm-hmm. let's say that in the beginning, for a year or two, that's just the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And let's just say that where they're looking to buy is an area that's growing and mm-hmm. developing, uh, and it's not anywhere near its full potential. Mm-hmm. Is that taken into consideration where you can eventually see rents getting to a point and surpassing so that they'll be making money at some point? Do you take that into consideration or is it just this is a loser, rents don't support this sort of mortgage value, we need you to put down more money? Is it black and white? I know boy, that's a lot to throw at you. No, no. Boy, is that an excellent point though. If I if I think back to something we preached about in the uh, in the previous episode, it's it's these decisions aren't made in a vacuum, right? And and so uh, uh to to use the fancy uh, lingo, if somebody is underwater on the cash flow, uh they're 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 paying more than what they're getting in, but there is upside potential that they're banking on. The first thing is well, what else is going on in their financial world? If they've got robust income and they can cover that shortfall, then great. Uh, but if the only way they can afford that property is is by the the offsetting incoming rent, that's that's a really precarious position. And uh, much like Tony can't uh, can't uh, can't suggest a particular property or or, or real estate investment uh, for for as part of the overall financial planning, we really can't get into a speculative conversation about uh, well, it may not look so rosy now, but boy, read the paper. Here's what's happening in that community in five or ten years. That's a really risky place to be. Um, I really try to advise people in this kind of situation: is can you afford it in the worst case scenario? Uh, if you have six months without it tenant and and goodness knows that happens mm-hmm. uh, if you incur unexpected repairs and uh, you know tenants tenants aren't terribly tolerant with with something like that if uh, if the roof starts leaking at two o'clock in the morning you're gonna get that phone call at 205 mm-hmm. and and you gotta you gotta spring into action so uh, does it come into consideration yeah from the finance standpoint though we we, we don't want to get speculative as to coming to the conclusion that you should buy this and you should finance it because of something that's going to happen down the road. That And, and Tony, is that not a fair conclusion on pretty much any investment, really? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And that goes to the fact that the point that real estate is, from my standpoint, is a different kind of investment. It's definitely an, 
I'll say an active participant investment. Yeah. You have to – you bring up a great point about people that on paper want to – well, I said earlier, people on paper want to own real estate. But the reality is, yeah, if the tenant calls and uh, – you know, six o'clock in the morning and something is, something is, needs to be fixed. You not only need the time to do it, but you need the, the capital. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot like owning a business. You can't run a business just simply based off of uh, cash flow. You have to have reserves to make, you know, for, and, and actually that's how your own financial life should be too. You can't, if you're running, if you're running a, your, your real estate venture plus your, your personal life on a paycheck by check, paycheck basis, if one thing goes wrong, then yeah, you 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 have to make less than optimal decisions. Yeah. That's financial code, you know, planner code word for borrow. Yeah. <laughs> get out. Uh, Emergency. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no, you're you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, do you find that people tend to get really excited by by uh, investment properties more because of the potential gain they see in the short run? Or is it something that's more of the long run they go into? I think it's more of the long run. I've certainly uh, had investors buying in an area because they see the potential for it and see where things are starting to happen. And, you know, let's be honest, a lot of these areas that are up and comers, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. It's a a process. Royal Oak is Royal Oak. And uh, and then you have surrounding communities that were really – not much happening in the, the 2008, 9, 10, 11. Shoot, in 2012 and 13, I remember selling homes in certain communities for an unbelievably cheap amount. And now those same houses are selling for triple or quadruple yeah. what they were. And rent, same thing. Rent is now almost double or in some cases triple what they were collecting at that time. So I, I, I see it and I see people, the potential for people wanting to invest in up-and-coming areas. Uh, does the rent justify what they're getting it for? Not always, but um, – and that's and that's why I say, you know, yeah. sometimes you take a little bit of a haircut in the beginning, though it's not ideal – and uh, and then eventually over time, and and I'm not talking about um, you know losing money, being upside down. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about just the cap rate in general. How much how much uh, uh, how much money you're making on your investment, um, and you know ideally you'd want that to be somewhere between four and ten percent. But if it's an up and coming area and your cap rate is on the low end, a three or a two, but there's potential, I, I still might advise an investor to buy that property. For long-term gain, yeah, I, you know, I don't disagree. You know, I'll, I'll I'll use a term from from Tony Bucci's industry, and that is risk tolerance. Yeah. You know, what are, what are you comfortable with? I mean, if if that if that strong potential upside is at some point in time and down the road, and you don't know when, and you're and you're questioning your own finances, that can lead to some sleepless nights. That's for sure. The thing that I sometimes worry about, though, is I think there's some inherent sexiness to being a real estate investor, uh, and I think everybody knows. Well, I'm not quite sure how it's happening, but I know this person that owns all kind of rental properties, and they make a pile of money. And there could be truth to that conclusion, but what's usually not known is what's the rest of the backstory. You know, what what else right. is going on that makes it all happen? Uh, when you get really granular. Uh, as far as what's happening on a property prop by property basis, they're they're probably seeing the kind of returns like you're talking about. Maybe it's four or five percent with that rental income, which is fine, but you know, no one's going to get rich overnight with that kind of thing. So I always worry when someone's looking at it from and, and Tony, I think that's with any investment. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how it's going to work, but I know if I go down this path, I'm on the roads to riches, and and there, that that path doesn't 
exist. There's not a guarantee, yeah. is there? Yeah. But you know, it, it's funny that you you brought about risk tolerance because one thing that we notice in our world, and I, I, I would guess this happens in real estate, is that success breeds aggressiveness and mm, also yeah. breeds complacency. So if um, if you've had a couple, say you say you flipped a few homes and you're making a lot of money uh, off of those two flips, you tend to have an um, your risk tolerance tends to go up because yeah. you um, are comfortable with it, but you're also you maybe maybe should be slightly less comfortable with it because every situation is unique. So we see this in the stock market and the investing world. As the market goes up, everybody come, becomes more aggressive. Mm, As the market goes down, everybody becomes more conservative. When in you know vice, and in reality, it should be should be quite the opposite. Um, in hindsight, it's always easy to say that that 2008 and 2009 was the best time to buy flips. Uh, but uh, yeah, 2012, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but sometimes there can be, be bred in overconfidence. And uh, I, I did hear this from um, I think it was actually on the Dave Ramsey show. Who he mentioned he used to invest in real estate, and uh, he talked about how sometimes um, people who do a lot of real estate investing become immune to risk. Because they're so, they were so successful at it, and sometimes it only takes one negative yeah. experience. Um, but same thing in stocks too. So, um, but yeah, the, the the concept of risk tolerance and always grounding yourself of like, what's the reality? What are the what are the as you guys were talking about? What are the numbers? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's because at the end of the day, an investment, whether it's a stock or real estate, it, it's not a, it's, it's all that matters is what you bought it for relative to its potential value. That's a good point. So yeah. if it's if you bought in Clawson or you bought in Royal Oak. Of Clawson's actually, that's a bad example. Say Hazel Park or Royal Oak, right? <laughs> um, Hazel Park is not as sexy as Royal Oak, but maybe it's tremendous. Maybe there's a much more value. Sure. As, as someone who's looking at Royal Oak right now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. that's exactly right. And uh, this is what happens when you let a financial advisor speak on real estate. It's <laughs> well, all what I think, right? <laughs> you brought well, you brought up a good point. Yeah. And uh, speaking about people who flip homes. Uh, flip home, make money, flip home, make money, get a little cocky after eight yeah. or 10. And all yeah. it takes is that one, that one that has a little more risk than maybe the others to get burned and lose your shirt. Yeah. It, it only takes that one. And seen it happen before mm-hmm. um, where they it, they have to shut down. They, they lose everything yeah. on yeah. one of those yeah. houses and take a big haircut. It looks so darn good from the outside. You know, when you're looking at it from the surface of, hey, I can buy it for thirty-five or forty thousand dollars, and everything else around here is selling for a hundred and twenty. Well, who wouldn't be intrigued uh, by that type of thing? It's all the stuff that happens in the middle that's problematic. You know, yes. and that's that's where it gets. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're right, flippers will say it took longer than I thought it would, and and I spent more than I thought I would. I still made some money, but those were two things, and I think this is a key thing. Those were two things that I did not plan on happening that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You you spoke earlier about temperament uh, yeah. and whether or not somebody has the type of temperament to be uh, an investor and own rental properties, and and it just made me think that it's true that the people that know themselves well enough that they don't want to be called at three o'clock in the morning that the toilet's plugged and it's flooding <laughs> or uh, there's a leak in the basement, come fix it right away, or the furnace is out and it's dead nuts in the middle of winter. What do I do? Uh, the people that don't want those calls hire a go-between, a property management company. And uh, and yeah. so if that's factored in the costs, uh, 
and I don't, I don't know, Tony, and when you sit down and you and you figure out your standard, okay, this is what the home is going to produce, this is what their PITI is, is there a number that you factor in to cover other things or is it just PITI and this is what their payment's going to be, this is what a house will rent for, we're good. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of a progression. What we like to do is, from the mortgage perspective is that we like to make sure that the that the person can qualify for that mortgage as if there's no rental income. Uh, and John, I know on the real estate side, that's like, well, you know, what the heck are you talking about? Of course, there's going to be rental income. But just in being conservative and prudent, it's like if we can make it work and there is no rental income, then then from a mortgage risk standpoint, we've got a wonderful scenario. But there are mechanisms where we can we can use projected rent. We can do two things. We can use projected rents as as put forth by the appraiser who's done objective analysis on that. Uh, or we can use an existing lease if somebody, for instance, is refinancing a property and say, look, this this is what I have in place. Or I'm purchasing it and a tenant has signed in conjunction with me to rent. We can take that into consideration. We'll give it a haircut. You know, We'll, we'll generally only use a percentage of, of, that, uh, uh, of that incoming rent for obvious reasons. There, there's expenses that go along over and above just that, that monthly payment on the, on the financing. I'm curious, what are guideline rules regarding somebody turning uh, a home that they're moving from mm-hmm. into a rental? Can they show what rent would be in, and use that as income towards the purchase of their new home? There was a time not too long ago mm-hmm. where you had you had to have a renter in a place for two years, if, if, I'm, if I'm correct, that I recall during the, the bad time. Uh, is that still the case? in order to count that as income towards your new purchase? Uh, Great question, John. It's been dynamic. Uh, Prior to the recession, um, if somebody wanted to buy a home and and not sell their existing home and they wanted to offset that existing debt, miraculously, a a lease would just become available and say, oh, well then, you know, this will cover my mortgage payment. And and, and then there it went. And then now comes the recession and then that became verboten for obvious reasons. And and I'll always say, bad guys reckon for the good guys. And so that was put on hold. No, you know, if you are converting a primary residence to an investment property, that is, sorry, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be able to carry that debt service. Now we're, as things are becoming a little more healthy, and I know that's a, that's a arguable term or relative term. If somebody is, is converting a primary residence to a rental property because they want to buy a new primary residence and they do have a lease, we can use that lease to offset the existing debt. On that, on that current residence. Um, we're careful about it. I mean, we want to see the fully executed lease. We want to see that deposit that that renter has given that what is now the landlord uh, to at least give some degree of validity to it because it was abused uh, pre-recession for sure. Is somebody doing a drive-by appraisal of the house to see if somebody's living in there or the condition of the home? Along with that other information? So you're talking about the, the property that they've turned into a rental? Correct. No. No, but I will tell you this. Uh, so, of course, what are we approving? We're approving the mortgage on their subsequent purchase. Uh, if that if that loan starts to go into default, uh, now we're going to start peeling back the onion and we're going to see, well, is everything that was told at that point in time mm-hmm. true? Uh, it's a little left the fact, but that's kind of how that process goes. And if there, because here, here's what the lender is going to try to do, whether or not if there was some indication of fraud at the application, hey, I said there was going to be a tenant, and now there never was a tenant. Well, you know, then that that home buyer has a risk of having their note called uh, accelerated and due and due in full because they misrepresented what was going on in the loan application. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to to get to, we're running a little short on time, but I wanted to just talk briefly about. Um, second homes, people who buy cottages up north, homes that are on lakes up north, 
um, or elsewhere or uh, or income properties homes that are on lakes with the idea that hey I'll just I'll just rent that out and one of the things that I found really interesting is as of right now if a homeowners association or a an association in a subdivision or a beach association where homes reside if there are a set of um you know, CCNRs, uh, conditions, covenants, and restrictions that strictly forbid it, you've got a problem. Yeah. You can't do it. And so I bring this up because uh, I- I've talked with people who have wanted to buy properties in um, uh, Areas where tourists and travelers go and say, "Hey, I could, yeah. I could buy this property here. I can go up and enjoy it. Uh, I, ca- I can't get to it every weekend, but uh, I can verbo or Airbnb it when I'm not there. Make some money. Help me offset the mortgage costs. I can do all of that." Well, guess what? If you're not, if you don't do your investigations to find out if there are bylaws or CCNRs that prohibit that, and you buy that house with that idea, and then find out after the fact. <laughs> yeah, you will get shut down in a hurry, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so um, it, you know it's, it's a it's a it's a to borrow a term from you, it's an onion right now <laughs> uh, that basically these communities, um, and you know I, I can see the argument from the people that live there that I don't want uh, some uh, a bunch of yahoos, twenty something year olds, thirty something, not to. Not to say that it doesn't happen with older people too, but I don't want these yahoos coming in and making all this noise, tearing up the the whole area, leaving trash everywhere, and then they go away back to where they came from. And then I'm the guy that's got to go out and pick it up, and I got to deal with this every weekend. And this is what I want to get away from, which is why I come out here, why I bought this home in the first place. So I understand it from that perspective, but I also understand it from the other perspective, which is, hey, I I bought this house. I own it. Why why? Who are you to tell me what I can right. do with my property and who I can let live there or let rent there? So I, I see it from both sides, mm-hmm. and I understand it. Um, and uh, you know, currently there's a there's a law, uh, not a law, but there's a uh, a bill running through the house that they're trying to pass, which would essentially allow homeowners uh, by state law to rent out on short term leases these properties um, to. Uh, tourists or travelers and and make these rules inside associations uh, toothless. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting that you bring that up because – and it's going to be interesting to see how other states handle this too because I know Florida, for, for example, I mean given the fact that it's a big snowbird state, that those rules absolutely exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we were talking earlier. Um, I just came back from uh, a vacation at my uh, at my in laws place in Marco Island, and their condo has rules that say you can only rent to one person per month. No short term rentals. What's, yeah. I mean, you, that person might only be there for a couple of days, but that's it for your month. And yeah. uh, it's interesting how different. It's, it's going to be interesting to do, to see how um, how the law develops and how different communities handle that because it's certainly a you know, in my world, we we know the statistics: ten thousand baby boomers are turning sixty-five every day, and hmm. there's a strong. And as technology has enabled us through VRBO or Airbnb to to rent homes in these places, there, as you guys talked about, there's a desire just to buy these places just for the investment uh, potential yeah. of them. Yeah. So that's a. 
I mean, I would, I would, I never even thought about that until you brought it up, or do I just kind of just live through it? Because that that would severely affect the quality or the price you would want to pay for that particular yeah. investment. It, absolutely. Could you imagine spending a half a million dollars to live on one of the lakes up north, yeah. uh, and, and it's a peaceful, serene community, and all of a sudden, every weekend, the house next door to you, here come these people partying and running around and swimming and making noise all night, and all you want is peace. It would absolutely affect the value. And same thing with condo associations yeah. up there as well. Um, yeah, it would make a big change. Yeah. But so am I the guy partying, or am I the guy? I'm you're the guy partying. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, you're the, the guy making too hard at all <laughs> Not with little kids anymore. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more I wanted to get to that I, I, I know we wanted to get to, but uh, gosh, we're short yeah. on time. And, um, we could do a whole other episode on we, that. We I could. Think, yeah. we, we'd love to have you back again, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, Thank you. Uh, coming soon, I yeah. guess. We'll, we'll figure out another date that works for your schedule no um, to have you back. But uh, hey, uh, we'd like to thank you again, Tony, for, for coming by. Uh, Tony Bucci with Mission Point Planning and Retirement. Um, Tony, how do people get in touch with you if uh, if they want to sit down and talk about their finances or planning or, heck, anything to do with their money? Absolutely. Thanks so much again. Thanks, Tony and uh, John. Uh, we're local. Uh, you can re- reach us at 248-504-6015. A uh, great resource to check us out is our website at www.missionpointplan.com. Three words all together. Uh, we put a lot of our original thoughts, our ideas, our opinions on our blog. So if you're investigating us, you can get a really good feel of who, what we stand for and what we believe by going there first. And then uh, and all consul- initial consultations are all complimentary. So there's um, uh, we, we definitely are uh, a no-pressure type of, uh, no, no type of uh, firm as well. But thanks again, guys, for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Tony, this was great. Thanks for coming on. That's for sure. This was a fun episode. Hey, thanks for listening to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence. If you'd be so kind to subscribe, review, and rate us, we would appreciate it. Please share it with your friends, family, and coworkers that they can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.